Well, it's quite the, uh, quite the transition. Boldly I approach the throne because I'm happy, right? I mean, that's, it fits. Come on. Well, what do you think we're going to talk about this morning? Being happy. Hey, good, good. Well, we are going to talk about being happy. Now, it might start off a little different than you might expect, but uh, I think it'll make sense as we, we move forward. So um, if you haven't been introduced to our series yet, I'll just kind of bring you up to speed a little bit. We did an introduction last week, but we are going to be jumping into Matthew 5 through 7. I'm not taking the whole book, just kind of a few chapters here. Uh, in your Bibles, you might see it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, because Jesus takes them up onto what you're going to see today is probably more of a hill, but uh, what they would consider a mount to teach his disciples. Um, one thing just to kind of note as we get started, you're going to see our subtitle here is moving from what we know to who we know. And the idea here is we're trying to put ourselves back, you know, a couple thousand years ago into the minds of the disciples. And they had grown up to understand what faith was a little differently than maybe what you and I grew up to understand what faith is all about. And so as they grew up, they had heard from the scribes and the Pharisees, and they went back to the law of Moses, and absolutely, the law of Moses is true, we believe in God's Word, but it pointed to a lot of, of rules and regulations that they had developed over the years, and part of it was a little bit out of fear because Israel had rejected God. At one point, they had t- been taken out of their promised land, and so when they came back in, they established even some, some stricter rules. And by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, it had become really oppressive, but this was the, the culture that they were growing up in. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, he begins to talk to them and share some truth with them. And here at the beginning of his ministry, he actually takes a standard that they already had and raises it even higher. And it's a little surprising. In fact, some of you I know came after the service last week and they're like, I don't really understand what this passage is all about. So I hope as we go further into uh, the, this, these few chapters, it'll make more sense. So just kind of hang on a little bit. Uh, it'll start to unfold a little bit. And, and by the end, hopefully you'll go, ah, okay, I get that a little bit more. And I'll explain a little bit of things today that, that hopefully will help that, help, or will help that along. Um, but this idea of moving from what we know to who we know is really kind of the challenge that I think the disciples had, that they had been learning so many things. They had a lot of, of presuppositions before Jesus started his ministry, and I think he wanted to shatter those a little bit. I want to change them. I say, this is what you've known, but this is what I'm going to tell you. And so he's saying, listen to me. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. I am God. Listen to what I have to say. And that's the challenge we have too, that we listen to what God has to say, and we get what God has to say through his word. So we might come into a church setting, our spiritual life, with a lot of presuppositions, things we've heard from the past, but we always need to be checking those with what Scripture has to say. And that's, I think, the challenge for us. So verse 13 says you, okay, you and I. And verse 14 also says you, but here, verse 13, it says you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14 says you are the light of the world. Now, I don't know, you might have wrestled that, with that a little bit in your life group this last week, but it's, it's kind of um, different from the way I think, because I always think Jesus is the light of the world, and absolutely He is. But He calls us and His disciples to be lights of the world too, of course, letting His light shine through us. Not our own light, but His light shining through us. So you and I are, are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste... How can it be made salty? 
Now, my kids have, have been using this word quite a bit lately. I didn't grow up using the word salty, right? But they'll sometimes be like, hey, Dad. Um, one of them would be like, well, I'm salty right now. Like, that means like, you know, don't talk to me or something, I guess. And sometimes I'll be like, Dad, you're kind of being salty right now. And so the idea, I think, is like, a, you know, being aggressive or something along those lines. Uh, you're being salty. That's not what he's saying here, okay? What he's saying is that you'll have an impact. You'll be flavorful, flavorful, is that right? Um, to the world, people will see that you have a flavor, that you have an impact. That's what he's talking about here when he says, how can you be made salty again? You're not worth putting on food. Just, just put it on the ground and trample it if you lose your taste. In other words, you need to have an impact. And so Jesus challenges his disciples right there and says, you guys need to make an impact on this earth. You need to be salty. You need to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, I'm going to talk theology a little bit. Um, might get a little nerdy if you want, I guess, something along those lines. But this is like if you're reading through your Bible and you see those subtitles at the bottom, uh, well, not subtitles, sometimes you see notes at the bottom and it hinges it on a verse and you can read that and it explains the verse a little bit more. That's kind of what we're doing right now. Just explaining some background that helps us maybe understand the, uh, the passage a little bit better. And we're going to revisit this quite a bit as we go through this series. Understanding three phases of salvation will help us understand Matthew 5 through 7. Okay? And if you haven't been exposed to these before, this might be the first time. Maybe it'll make sense. It'll clear things up a little bit. Uh, maybe they'll just be review for you. I'm not sure. But understanding three different phases will certainly help us understand this passage further. The first one is justification. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we see ourselves for who we truly are and we see that we're sinners, we realize we need to come to God and we need to ask Him for forgiveness. And when we do, we are justified. Now, some people have defined justification as just as if I'd never sinned. Like, that's an easy way to remember it. I think that's a, that's a good way to remember it. It's not the full picture. Really, the picture is, yes, I have sinned, but God has declared me righteous. So it's, yes, there's sin in my life, but God has dealt with it. We read about this, this big word uh, called propitiation, if you've ever come across it. It's like in 1 John chapter 2. And that's the idea that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins, and God the Father has accepted His sacrifice. Not just that He died on the sins, but that His sacrifice is accepted. And so He became that propitiation. He became the one that would be able to die on the cross for our sins and, and suffer the, the price that we should have paid. He did that. And so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, positionally we become adopted by God, we become His children, we are in a position where we are His, and He has His, His grip around us. Our salvation is not to be taken away, it's not to be altered, it's not to be changed. We are His, positionally. Okay? There's a, a legal term. Okay? We've been adopted as His children. And that's not to be changed. That's what happens at the justification point. Well, then there's sanctification. Sanctification now is that process to become more Christ-like. Here's a couple of verses just to think about. First, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a transaction that took place. He died on the cross for our sins. And then when he rose from the dead, he came and presented himself to all of us. He says, here is my righteousness given to you. 
There's a transaction that takes place. That's the justification piece. Or Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by God, now we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not at war with Him. We're not at war with God. We're actually at peace with Him because we're declared righteous. But the sanctification piece is now we're becoming more Christ-like. An argument could be made. Okay, let's say you understand this. You've got this firmly. All right, I've been declared righteous before God the Father. Well, why do I need to do anything to be more like Christ? Why do I need to do good works? Ephesians 2.10, for God created us to do good works. Why should I do that if I'm already declared righteous? And those are some questions that were asked 2,000 years ago, and Paul dealt with those in the book of Romans. And this is what he had to say. What should we say? Should we continue to sin that grace might increase? Well, if, if Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we just continue to sin, he's just going to keep paying for them, right? And he says, absolutely not. How should, or how can he, we who died to sin still live in it? It should impact us. We should be humbled by the fact that Jesus had to die on the cross. We should realize that that's the penalty. That's what, what needed to happen is somebody needed to die, and Jesus Christ was gracious enough to do it for us. And that should fuel us then to be like Christ. This is the verse I think we should turn to at times when we're like, okay, why do we do good works? We do good works because we want nothing to do with sin because we see the impact of sin. Sin has damaged the world. Sin caused our God, our Creator, our Savior to go to the cross. We should see that and say we want nothing to do with it and we should try to flee from it. That's sanctification. So we're progressing. We're becoming more Christ-like. Now, will we reach perfection while we're on this earth? No. And that's the third piece, which is glorification. When we die or when Christ comes back, we'll be glorified, and at that point we'll be perfected. So those are the three different, different phases of salvation. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been justified and you're in sanctification. As far as I know, there's nobody glorified here unless you came back to earth at some point. Um, we may think at times, and we may act at times like we're glorified, but we're not. We're not perfect yet. That is still to come. Here's one more analogy I thought I'd give you. We could take this too far, but uh, I, I think it, it helps me understand possibly how this works. Somewhere along the way, maybe you've had the, the privilege and the fun of putting a post in concrete. How many of you have done that? All right, good. How many would recommend everybody in the room do something like that at some point in life? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, all those of you who raised their hand the first time did it the second time, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work, but, you know, you get through it, and, hey, you have something accomplished, and you've set something in concrete. Now, if you've done this before, you know that when you set it in there, in about 12 to 24 hours, the post is pretty well set. Yes, you could go and probably, you know, move it around and try to yank it out of there, but for the most part, it's set. But you also know it takes a while for that concrete to cure. In fact, it, they say they recommend around 28 days to get it to cure to the strength, strength that's posted on the bag, right? And even after that, concrete still cures to some degree. The point I want to make here is that like a post in, in concrete, we've been cemented, we've been We've been sealed up or, or positioned into the concrete, but we're also still curing. 
Okay? We're not going to be moved. We're not going to be taken away. We're not going to be pulled out. We're positionally there. But as we become more Christ-like, we're, we're curing. We're becoming more like Him on this journey on this earth. Okay? So those are the, the two pieces of salvation that I hope we understand because as you read through chapters 5 through 7, you're going to see Jesus begin to raise that standard and say, here's what it looks like to be perfect. And you're going to go, whoa, how do you do that? You say, well, Jesus has declared you righteous, so you're already perfect because His righteousness covers our sin. But we also see that the level of perfection is much higher. That means we have a lot more work to become Christ-like. But that's the direction we want to go. We want to be away from sin and more towards Christ. So I hope that, hope that helps uh, understand, maybe clears up some things, and maybe even causes some more discussion in your life groups this week as you go back to them. So as far as the first three Beatitudes, I want to go into our big idea for the, uh, the day and go back to this idea of happy. Now I'm going to put a phrase up here that most likely uh, will not be copied or tweeted or anything like that because it's one of those phrases that culturally is kind of unacceptable. And maybe challenges your thinking a little bit. And if it does, great. That's the point of it, okay? So I'll throw it out there. It might even create a little bit of tension in your mind and your heart, but by the end, hopefully resolve it and you know where I'm coming from. Happiness is found in being weak, not strong, okay? Happiness is found in being weak, not strong. All of you Sunday school kids who grew up going to church, remember this song? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the... Oh, here you go. The tells me so, little ones to Him belong, they are... Good job, you know the words. Okay? They are weak. He's talking about us. They are weak, but He is strong. So we've heard that for many of us. If you know that song, you've, you've heard that from the time you were a child. Maybe you have. Maybe that's the first time you ever heard that song. That's all right, too, because you're getting it today. There's happiness in being weak, not strong. Okay? Now, our culture says completely the opposite. You need to figure out how to be strong. You need to figure out how to muster up the strength in yourself. You need to look to yourself. You need to believe in yourself. You need to do all that, and it's all in you. But God's Word, and Jesus here specifically in this passage says, no, blessed are you when you're weak, not strong. So think about that and how we get there. Now, the question for today, if you change your profile picture to how you truly feel, what would it look like? If you change your profile picture on your you know, social media choice, what would it look like? So I was going through this, and as we were in our teaching team, uh, Luke was actually pulling up my Facebook profile and was starting to look through my pictures. And I don't have a lot of profile pictures because I don't change them very often. Uh, in fact, the one I have on there now is probably from about four years ago. And this was back when we started, um, started Involved Church. And I think this was taken on one of the nights where we were together, and I was like, hey, I'm smiling. So if I'm smiling, I should probably use that one and uh, put that one out there. But before that, I think this might have been the one I had. And, uh, and of course, the, yeah, that's why, because everybody's like, ah, because they see Lila, not me. You know, I was like, oh, Lila's cute. I don't know who that 
big dorky guy lives there, but Lila's cute. So, um, so there is a profile picture, but then Luke had to find this one. I didn't even know it was in there, but at one point, this was my profile picture, I guess. So maybe that's a little more like actually how I feel most of the time right there. Uh, crazy. I, I don't know how you would define the feeling behind that picture. But really, think about it. If, what, what would yours look like? Now, you might say, I could change it every hour, every day. I don't know. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's happy. Sometimes it's angry. Sometimes it's scared. What would your profile picture look like if you posted it to, to represent what you truly feel? Think about that as we move forward, because I think the point that Jesus makes to his disciples as he brings them up on this mountain and begins to talk to them is, you guys need to be open with God. You need to be transparent and open with him if he's going to start to do a work in your life. So chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to know what your word has to say. We don't want it to be our thoughts. Lord, you started your whole ministry out with your disciples with this, with this teaching. You were communicating something so important to them. You wanted to take them up on a hillside and begin to teach them and point out some important things. And we want to capture that same idea. Help us to understand what it is you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you a little of the context here. If you like pictures and, and geography and want to know exactly kind of where this might have taken place, this is around the Sea of Galilee. Um, we know that Jesus was walking around the Sea of Galilee when he started to call his disciples. You can go back to chapter 4, verse 18. It says, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets into the, the sea for their fishermen, and Jesus started calling his disciples. So he was there around the, the Sea of Galilee, and this is believed to be the place that he went and begun this, this message. Now today, this is what it looks like. I don't know how well you can see up on top. There's a church right up on top of, uh, like I say, what we might call a hill, but they were calling a mountain. Uh, the Roman Catholics, uh, they went through and built a lot of churches on top of, of holy sites. So if you go to Israel today, often the different holy sites are marked by a church, and so there's one there, and that's for the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so this is kind of looking from the east side. If you're looking from the west side, it would look more like this. And there's the, the water line down there where Jesus likely would have called some of the disciples to himself and said, hey, come follow me. And once he got his disciples, he went up to somewhere on this hillside, this mountainside, and sat them down and began to teach them. And this is what he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you have your Bibles open and you're looking at it, you might see a title in there and it says the Beatitudes. And you may ask the question, well, how do you ever get to the Beatitudes? Well, the Beatitudes come really from the Latin term. Okay, now, the Bible's written in Greek. Uh, well, this portion of it was written in Greek. We're reading it in English today, so how did the whole Latin thing come into play? Well, you know, later on, uh, after Greek was written, really the next main language was Latin, and it was translated into Latin, and a lot of teaching was done in Latin. And so, so this was from the word buto. I'm not speaking Latin very well, but that's something along those lines. And, and so they use the word beatitude 
to talk about these blessed points. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirits. Okay? And again, blessed or blessed, that's really personal preference, how you want to say that. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Another word is lowly. Okay? Or the way I like to see it is, or think of it as a beggar. It's a word used for begging. Blessed is the one who begs in their spirits. Now, have you ever passed by someone begging and said, wow, they're blessed? We don't, right? And that's the point that Jesus is making. This isn't what you would culturally think of as acceptable, like, oh, yeah, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Yeah, good, right, right on, Jesus. You'd be going, wait a minute, what's he talking about? The word blessed means happy. And so if we were to really just translate it right over to our language today, you could say, happy are those who are begging. And we definitely wouldn't say that. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, he goes on, so, so let's say that. Happy are those who are begging in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is, and I've put in some words here, and that's just to show you the tense of the verb. And you're going to see it as we go along. Is. So presently, blessed are those who are begging for the kingdom of heaven is currently theirs. Okay? The one who is begging has the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you get to the kingdom of heaven, there's a couple different ideas, and we, I could go into a, like a 30-minute message just on how to, to interpret this. I think kingdom of heaven, and there's another phrase out there called kingdom of God, or stated kingdom of God, I think they're interchangeably, and it's speaking about the presence of God. Okay? Now, there's a lot of applications to that, but there it is. The kingdom of heaven is presently theirs. Now, the next one he goes on to, blessed or happy now, are those who mourn. Okay? Mourn is crying, weeping, reflecting over a situation and causing you to, to weep okay? presently. So, blessed are those who mourn presently, for they will in the future be comforted. So right now in this current situation, yes, they're weeping, they're having a difficulty, they're, they're seeing their situation as a terrible situation, they have no hope in it, but he says they will in the future be comforted. Okay? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then the third one, blessed are the humble or the meek or the gentle. Now the word meek uh, gentle, I think, is, it captures the idea here. Humble as well, but it's really all kind of three of those together. Like they're gentle and they submit themselves to God's plan and they act more like God would want them to act than what they want to do. Blessed are the humble or the meek, for they will in the future inherit the earth. Now, this is probably the most difficult one, I think, to, to, tra- or to, to interpret and really understand like, Okay, they will inherit the earth. What he means there, there's three different, I think, possibilities, maybe even more. An Old Testament observation, you go back to the Old Testament, and you're going to see in Psalm 37, 11, but the humble will inherit the land and enjoy abundant prosperity. And you can go back and look at some Old Testament ones like Abraham, Moses, you can look at... Um, you can look at King David. King David, he had the opportunity to kill his, his enemy, King Saul, and chose not to. 
Uh, he was gentle. He was meek because he said it was, it was God's anointed person. He wasn't going to kill him. So he, he showed that gentleness. And so God said, hey, you are going to inherit the earth. Your, your descendants will. And so you see that lived out. Some other possibilities are the future Israel. Followers of Jesus will inhabit the earth in the millennium as you're working into the millennium. Um, so there's a thousand years where Christ is going to come back and reign on the earth. And during that time frame, uh, he could be saying that the people will, will be ushered into that time period. And then there's the future eternal, eternal earth. We read about it in, in Revelation at the end, when the judgment has happened and, and the wor- world is beginning to be destroyed, eventually God just finally destroys it and, com- and completely rebuilds the earth and makes a new earth. And the, the meek, the humble, will inherit that earth. Um, I don't know, as far as the interpretation goes, it's pretty difficult to pin it down and say, okay, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. But I will give you those three options. I tend to lead towards the third one there, uh, but you might lean towards a different direction. Either case, what I really like to focus on is are the first three blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirits. Blessed are the meek. Excuse me, blessed are the, those who mourn. And blessed are, are the meek. And take a look at what those have to say. Happiness is found in being weak. Remember? That's what it goes back to. That was our big idea for the day, and not strong. So, the type of person that is blessed or happy is this, the one begging for help and the one who's broken over sin. You go back to, blessed are the poor in spirits, blessed are those who mourn. What people had heard up to this point would have been something more like, blessed are you when you're confident. In fact, we might even say that today. Blessed are you if you're confident, confident in yourself, confident in your dreams, confident in what you believe. But Jesus comes on and says, no, blessed are those who are begging for help. Blessed are the ones who are broken over their sin, not explaining their sin away, not saying, yeah, that, that might be a problem in my life, but don't worry, in a little while I'll clean it up and fix it and, and package it away. He says, no, blessed are those who see their sin and are broken over it and are mourning and weeping over it. They're the ones that will be happy. And people want to know the question, how do I be happy? How do I be happy? Well, God tells us, our Creator tells us. We have to see ourselves for who we are, that we are people in need of a Savior. And we have to see the sin in our lives, and we have to be broken over it to realize that we need to come and ask for forgiveness. And then we have to be willing to to say, I will follow you, Jesus. I will be gentle. I will be kind. I will will follow you and, and live the life that you lived. You will be Lord and master over my life, and and I'll submit myself to you. That's the person who can find happiness in life. You have to be broken. You have to be weak and not strong in yourself. But we certainly can be strong in in the Lord. So this week's question, Oops. if you changed your profile picture to who you really are, what would it look like? Would it be broken? Would it be hurt? Would it be sad? Would you be confident, but not confident in yourself, but confident in what Christ has done for you? We just sang a song, Boldly I Approach the Throne. How can we approach the throne? We approach the throne through Jesus Christ, not ourselves. I can't approach Him with my works. And I can tell you, as great of people you are, you can't approach Him with your works. You have to approach Him with the work of Jesus Christ. 
how do you present yourself to God? In your relationship with God, how do you present yourself? Do you come to him with great confidence? Hey, God, look at who I am. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at, look at all the things I've promised to do. And I have all these great intentions to do. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes were talking about at the time. That's what they were trying to get people to do. Here's all the good things you can do and achieve, and you can, you can live by the, the great Ten Commandments, but let's take it even a step further. There's certain dietary laws you need to live by. There's certain uh, things you need to do on Sabbath, certain distances you can walk. You couldn't light a match. You couldn't, well, match. You couldn't light, you know, strike a, strike a fire or anything like that. Just like today, they have some of those same laws in place. And they had all these different rules. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, listen, you guys, it's even worse than that. See, all those things you can check off in a box. Some of us like the check box. Oh, I didn't do this today. I didn't do this today. I didn't do this today. And Jesus comes to the scene and he says, listen, it's worse than that. In fact, it's not just murder. You can't even hate somebody. It's not just adultery. You can't even commit lust. You can't even lust after someone. If you do, you've committed sin in your heart. We've got to be broken over that and come to God. So here's the challenge to respond. Now, this one uh, hit me. Uh, hopefully it hits you um, as I was just thinking through, how, how do I respond? And so I wanted to word this in a way that hopefully captures how, how I was responding to the text and maybe captures it for you. In your own prayer time, and I'm not asking you to do this on a card unless you really want to, but in your own prayer time, revisit the worst thing you've ever done. Do you think God treats you differently because of it? Okay? Think of the worst thing you've ever done. Revisit the worst thing you've ever done. Do you think God treats you differently because of it? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences to some things we've done in the past. But I am challenging all of us to think through, do we approach God and think that, you know, God might be treating me a little bit differently because of some things I've done in the past? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Do you believe that verse? Do you believe what God has to say? That He truly can cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Well, it's not going to happen if we don't admit it first. And we come before God and we say to God, God, I know I'm screwed up. I know I messed up. I know there's sin in my life. I can go back and I can think through those things and I can see them for what they are and I know they're wrong and I've hurt you and I've hurt other people and I need to ask and beg for forgiveness. That's what he's saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit who see themselves for who they are and come before God and ask for help. Beg for that help. Blessed are the poor in spirits. Blessed are the meek who are, or excuse me, blessed are those who mourn, who are broken over it. And not just write it off or push it back and say, yeah, that was a bad time in my life. That's okay, I'm past that now, but I'm better now. He said, no, you need to see that. That's part of your life. That's part of who you are. And Jesus Christ died for the person 20 years ago just like he died for the person today. He loved you then just like he loves you now. So you can't just say, well, I've cleaned that up and I'm better today. The truth is, He loves us for who we are. And those things created us to be who we are. 
So in your own prayer time, really, really think through that question. Revisit the worst thing you've ever done. Do you think God treats you differently because of it? And then this one. If you do not believe God has forgiven every one of your sins, will you get help from a pastor here or a life group leader this week or an elder of the church, someone who has a relationship with Christ that you respect? And will you say, hey, there's some things in my life I just have not been able to get over. And I even asked the question, I don't know that God could forgive me for that. I would challenge you to, to seek help. First, go to God one-on-one in your prayer time. Confess that. Know that He's faithful and just. He'll forgive you. If it's still difficult to work through it, then seek help. Now, if you've never done that, in fact, there are people I know that will say, um, you know, Pastor Ryan, I, I just feel like God can never accept me because of some things I've done in my past. Well, then maybe today's the day you can realize what Christ was asking for on that day was for us to be broken and real with Him and poor in spirit and begging Him for help. That's what God wants us to do, to look at ourselves and say, I'm not worthy. I need your help. Please forgive me. That's the condition that we need to be in, to be able to come to Him so that then we can be happy in Jesus. Otherwise, we're always just pretending, right? If we can't be honest, if we can't bring all that before God, the Almighty Creator that we love and want to serve, if we can't bring all that before Him and lay it at His feet, and we're always pretending like we're covering up all that bad stuff, we can never be happy. We'll always feel guilty. We'll always feel ashamed. But if we can openly bring it before Him and lay it at His feet and seek forgiveness and find forgiveness in Him, then we can move on to being blessed or happy. That's the direction God wants to take us. And it starts by us admitting it. So think about those things. Give you some time to reflect as, uh, as we play a song here and just think about how you would answer those questions, maybe right now in your own prayer time. If uh, you want to talk to me today, by all means, I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Luke would talk to you. You can grab, again, one of your life group leaders or one of the leaders in the church. We'd love to talk through some of those things with you because that's what we're here for. Okay? So think through those, some of those things. If you want to re- write on a response card too, hey, Pastor Ryan, can you follow up with me this week? I would love that. Uh, I would definitely follow up with you. Uh, text me, Facebook message, whatever. Uh, just don't look at my profile pictures, and, uh, and we'll, we'll be good. All right.